Welcome to the Leave No Doubt podcast. I'm so excited to welcome to the pod our new sponsors, Connection Technologies, a market leader in business-to-business tools ranging from business mobile, hosted telephony, and fixed-line services. Head over to their website at www.connection-technologies.co.uk, fill in their web inquiry form, and find out how Connection Technologies can help your business. Welcome to Leave No Doubt. I've been joined by ex-professional and co-owner of Momentum Sports Management Agency, Brian Howard. Brian, how are you doing? Good to see you, mate. Nice to be uh, finally invited on. Obviously, you had to get the big hitters on first to get the <laughs> followers and then uh, finally uh, dragged down to myself. No, I don't know many other big hitters than you, mate. <laughs> I um, I really appreciate your time and, and thank you for being here. Um, I want to give the listeners, obviously, some sort of perspective on you before we start um, as to the success of your playing career before we get into all things agency. Um, you made over 400 appearances in your career, more than half of them in the championship. You started off as a 17-year-old for Swindon and went on to represent Barnsley, Reading, Sheffield United and Portsmouth, among others. Important moments in your career include FA Cup quarter-final winning goals away to Liverpool, promotion via the playoffs with Barnsley, PFA Championship Team of the Year selections. It's fair to say you had a fantastic football career, mate. And even myself as an ex-teammate of yours, I can confidently say that you were one of the most technically gifted guys that I ever the you know the pleasure of playing with. When you look back at your career, what do you think the best version of yourself looked like, and can you describe that version of Brian Howard to me? I think um, it was probably obviously it was a, a little bit of a change. At the start, you said obviously seventeen at Swindon. I was I was at Southampton until I was at tw- until I was twenty. Um, so signed there as a ten year old uh, was involved in the England youth set up from from 15 to, to under 20s. And I think those years, again, it was technically, uh, I knew I was very good, but I didn't realise then the work you had to put in off the ball. And it probably wasn't until, you know, I probably went to Swindon, first team football, playing week in, week out with men, that realised that I wasn't going to fulfil my potential and my ability until I got myself to the front of the running. And I had to get myself fitter. Um, I had to do runs that I didn't want to do. Um, but that enabled me then to be a better footballer and my technical ability then came out. As a child, you were always technically gifted. At, at what sort of age was it that sort of 20-year-old period where you left Southampton that you realised how important fitness was to becoming a you know an elite player? I think just before I left Southampton, uh, Gordon Strachan came in as manager. And, and you know, it's like when a new manager comes in, it's always you're not fit enough. But um, Gordon Strachan was spot on. We weren't fitting us as a group, as a first team group. And then us youngsters coming through to push the first team. So it was very much then into running. Um, lots of runs every Monday morning was box to boxes, um, 40s and 80s twice a week if you weren't playing. And then all of a sudden um, the fitness really kicked in. And then once you got into games and into training, you went, oh, the game became easier. I didn't have to do a bit of skill that I was always used to doing to get out of trouble. I was already half a yard away, so then I actually could play the pass that I'd already seen. I didn't have to wait, you know, a couple of seconds. And I think it's so important the fitness wise, and as the game progressed, and I think that was probably in a time. So that was probably what nineteen ninety nine, uh, sorry, uh, early two thousands. That football probably started to change. Uh, the culture changed. More and more foreign players come to the country. People start to look after themselves better. And fitness really came into it uh, rather than just people relying on, on natural ability. So are you able to, in the position you are now, obviously with momentum, 
to fall back on your playing career quite a lot. Obviously, when you're reaching out to players, when you're trying to give them advice, when they're reaching out to you with circumstances or situations that they're in, how much do you call upon the experiences you had as a player? All the time, really. Um, you know, I've, I've met a few young players and families in the last couple of weeks and, you know, I've, I've sat there and I've sat where you are. I've, I've been a young player. I mean, I remember being 15 years old and, you know, uh, agents sat in my parents' front room um, trying to, to get me as a client and trying to say, we can move you to this club, we can move you to that club um, or we can get you a better deal at Southampton. So uh, I've lived through it from, from 15 years old right the way through to then highs of playing for England to signing my next pro contract, getting a pro contract early um, to to then moving on and the disappointment of then not making the first team at Southampton, which was all, always the goal, to then a small time at Chelsea, then the knockback of uh, Abramovich coming in, signing all the players, so I wasn't going to play at Chelsea either. So then the realisation you need to go and play men's football, you always look and go drop down, but I didn't feel I was dropping down to Swindon, it was I was stepping up to men's football. Um, so I've been through all these situations from a young age and then throughout my career. You talk about picking up injuries. Um, obviously, your body changes throughout your career, you get older. Um, so every experience I've been through. So I think I look through all of my players that even to ones now that are getting to 34, 35, that are on about their next progression in their career. I've been in those situations as well. So I feel that I can offer honest and, and reliable advice that I've lived through those situations or I've been in dressing rooms or had teammates that have been in those same situations. I think modern day football, obviously the importance of an agent is, is very relevant these days. And I've, you know, probably very rare that you'd find a player that doesn't have one, but when you were a player, obviously and doing very well, how important was an agent to you as a player? Yeah, really important. Um, you, you look at it and you, you have a really short career, as you know, and I think you have times where you're performing particularly well, and you think you'll really maximise those years. Obviously, the elite now, the great contracts are there, um, and it's about staying there. But I think there's there's times where you've really got to have that career progression, that career planning um, of the right moves at the right time to to keep, get yourself to the top and stay there. I'm glad that you touched on that, uh, the circumstances with the Chelsea and Abramovich taking over there because you know we're going to get that uh, into that in a little bit. But to get us started on sort of, you know, your perception of, of agency and because hopefully in this conversation, obviously everything we do on the Leave No Doubt podcast is to try and help players improve. It's quite uh, often that players' perceptions on agents are given in the media and um, it's going to be really interesting to get your opinion on what an agent's perspective of a player is. Um, but to get us started, what, in your opinion is an agent's responsibility? Like what, what are you fully responsible for in a player's life? Well, I think mine would be different to some agents. Uh, every agent has their own way. Uh, but mine is player protection and career planning. Um, 100% always put the player first and always put the right move or the right contract for the player uh, at the front. There's plenty of deals that myself and my business partner Phil, we obviously know well, we could have done a lot of deals that would have been financially better for ourselves, but weren't right for the players. So we always make sure that the player comes first. And it's really why I wanted to do this. Obviously you were at, with me at the, at the end of my career and it was always, do you, do you go down the coaching route? Do you, do you try and get into the media or, you know, do you go down the agent route? And I think from probably when I was about 30, 
it was when I decided I want to go down the agent route. Um, I think I went to Portsmouth at the time and we went to administration and there was stuff with contracts. And then, uh, you know, I was at a few other clubs where there was really good young players coming through and I felt that they were getting really misadvised by their agents. Uh, and sometimes, you know, there, there are really good agents out there and um, some ones that have done great for their players, but there's some that I think have misadvised their players for personal reasons, um, their own personal gain rather than what's right for the player. And one thing that I always say now in meetings um, and I look at it and I go to my players and, and then from an agent's perspective too, that there's money in football. You do well, you'll, you'll, you'll get paid. And it's the same as any job. You you do a good job, you, you want to earn money. It's all the reason we go to work, right? So it's there. And I say to my young players, don't be focused on having a watch, having a nice car, having a wash bag, having nice designer clothes. Be focused on being a player and be first one in, last one to leave every day. Be the best you can be. Be better than the day you were before. And you'll give yourself the best opportunity to be a professional footballer and then all the rest just comes with it. So I think, you know, the perception of agents sometimes, Brian, is that uh, players will will think, oh, my agent will sort me out or my agent will do this. I'm interested to get into, from your perspective, what are players responsible for? So when you work with a player and they're expecting you to do all this stuff for them, what solely is a player's responsibility, you know, in your opinion? Huge responsibility. It, it For me, it's, 90% down to the player. The agent can only do so, so much. And again, I say to some of my players, I can't put my boots on and play for you. I can't go and do that. I can't get up and be the first one into training. I can't go in the gym and do my prehab. I can't make sure I stay in the afternoon and go to the gym or I, I stay out and I practice on my weak foot or if I need to get fitter, I stay and do extra running. If I need to get stronger, I need to do a certain bit in the gym. If um, yeah, I need to make sure my, I'm living right, I can't make sure I'm going to bed on time to get up to be the best I can be in training. That's a player's responsibility. But what an agent is to do is to advise them to do that. Because some some don't get it. Some don't get told that. But I'll make sure, I'll say to my players, make sure you're here, make sure you're there. Uh, you know, there's one player who's now an international footballer. We said, look, we know the manager really well. If you're first one in, you've got a lot to do to, to impress the manager. But you're first one in, last one to leave, you do this. You Trust me, the gaffer will back you. Even if you have bad times, he will back you because you're doing the right thing. And that's so that happened. And he ended up being top goal scorer at that club last year in the championship and now an international footballer. Again, I, I didn't make him do that. But I just gave him advice what he should do, but he's the one that went and put that into practice, and now he's getting the rewards, and, and I'm sure he's going to continue and have another um, 10, 12 years playing at a really high level. Is it quite obvious then to you, you know, you and Phil, who the most difficult players are to work with? What, what the difficult players to work with look like? I think one, you summed it up as responsibility. Ones that don't take responsibility. Um, there, there's some that you know they've come from club to club and it's failed. It's failed. It's always the agent's fault. And I'm not talking about my players. I'm talking about players in general. It's always the agent's fault. It's blame culture. Rather than accepting responsibility, I need to do more. They can blame the agent. The manager doesn't like me. So and so doesn't like me. So and so doesn't pass me the ball. It's always a, a blame culture. Take responsibility and just be the best you can be every day. Leave no stone unturned. And you'll have the best opportunity. It still might not happen for you. And there still might be someone that does something else. You might get unlucky with injury. You can't, we say, control the controllables. So be the best you can be. Make sure you're doing everything extra. And it's the players that don't do that, that then they're the ones on the phone saying, why am I not in the team? And I say, well, did you do this this week? No. Well, don't phone me on a Friday afternoon when you're not in the team when you've not done the right things Monday to Thursday. 
sometimes it is unlucky. Sometimes the gaffer will change things up. But you go, right, we'll get your head down. Again, put a smile on your face. Go out there. Try even harder and be the best player. And it gives the manager a decision. And then you can knock the manager's door and say, look, gaffer, and if it's not the right opportunity, then we'll move you elsewhere. But if you're not doing everything right, I can't go to war for you. If I find a manager and say, why is he not playing? He'll kick off at me. And so you take responsibility for yourself. And I said, I will back you 100% as long as you're doing everything you can. I can't imagine when you were playing, you ever put an agent in that situation. Is it difficult, obviously, when players reach out to you and say, oh, this isn't going my way or that's not going my way, but I haven't done enough myself for you to obviously understand why they wouldn't do that. Like, well, talk to me about when you were a player, what sort of conversations would you have with your agent? Not many, really. Uh, I always say, I joke to Phil and say, I wish I could look looked after myself or you looked after me. I said it would have been easy life. I, I wanted to do my own thing. I, I took responsibility. Again, you knew me at the end of my career. I took responsibility for myself. Um, I didn't want to phone my agent unless I really had to. There was a couple of occasions, I think, when I was coming out of contract at Reading um, and then later in my career when there was a few different things that we couldn't really control with uh, with injuries and Portsmouth uh, administration, uh, the stuff that happened when I went abroad with the contract situation. So there was stuff that you can't control. So maybe then I was phoning my agent a lot. But other than that, I just got got to business um, and got down to it and thought the best I do, the best contract I'll get, and my agent can, get, uh, can take care of that. I want to give the most ammo I possibly could for my agent and say, well, the gaffer can't say I didn't do this. The gaffer said I can't do that. I want to say I am top goal scorer. I have been the best player this season. I deserve what I'm asking for. You had a couple of, or probably more so than a couple, Briar, in times in your career where you were playing so well that there was interest from other clubs, right? And in the modern day, obviously social media drives a lot of that narrative and whenever a club is interested in a player, it's sometimes made very public. Um, I had a conversation recently with a guy that you probably know, Ross Embleton, uh, who's the head of recruitment at Colchester. Um, amazing guy. Who And I asked him, like, how do players or agents or clubs know that Colchester are, are interested in them? He said, well, we don't give anything away. So sometimes it's agents creating hype. Sometimes it's... Um, somebody might see Ross at a game and think, oh, he must be going for that player. Um, I'm interested to know how interesting players start. Like, how did that work for you in your career? How does it work from an agent's perspective now when clubs or, or whoever it is, head of recruitments, become interested in a player? How does that information drip feed into people? I, th- I think it's being busy. Um, I think a lot of it now is data-driven. Uh, and again, that wasn't really around in my time, which I'm I'm gutted about because I've looked back over the years, and you know there was times when my stats were, were through the roof that probably now would have actually got me a move rather than just a scout comes to watch me on the old game uh, stuff like that. So a lot of it is data driven, a lot of it is scouts on the ground, a lot of it is agents speaking to clubs all the time saying what are you going to be looking for for January? These particular players might be available. Um, so there's lots of it that goes on in the background. Again, I, I don't like the stuff when. The stuff in the press all the time. Uh, that's something I really hate. I, I had it as a player myself at a particular time at Barnsley. Like I said, the, the, the year I got into the championship team of the year, there was stuff four million here, five million here. I'm going for this. I'm going for that. Then the the Barnsley chairman actually put. I remember getting a phone call in the summer one time. It was early in the morning. I think I was abroad from a, a journalist saying, uh, "Is it true you're going here?" And your chairman's come out and said, "If so and so went for two million, I'm worth ten. So then that caused a massive issue. So then I found my agent and say, well, why am I not going to these clubs? 
And he said, well, we spoke to him and they're not there yet, that they do like you, et cetera, et cetera, but they won't pay that fee. You've got one year left on your deal. The, the Barnsley chairman's obviously trying to get as much money as possible. So then he said to the Barnes manager, okay, or, or the, the guys at Barnsley, if I'm worth 10 million, where's my 10 million pound contract? Because there's not even a contract on the table. So then it just opened up a can of worms. You come back to pre-season, not, your, your head's not in it because you think I should be moving there. Stuff in the press, you're getting this, you're getting that. So I hate all that side of it because I think it affects people. And if there's stuff in the press now that this, so obviously some agents do, but if an agent puts something, if we did it, my players would be on the phone saying, why have I not got that? That causes me a massive issue because I've put that out there to try and drum up interest. It might not be that. So I think this causes more more problems. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I've, you know, my situation compared to your career was much, much different, mate. The only one move that I had obviously was from Eastleigh to Bristol Rovers. And even in that period of time, I remember the Eastleigh chairman um, coming to me at the time saying, um, the club want to offer you a new contract, but we know that there's interest from other clubs. And I spent sort of about a month, two, three weeks maybe, really sort of anxious about like, what does it, what do you mean interest? Like which club is it? Um, what do they want me for? Like how much might, might I make? What level is it going to be at? And all these sort of things that I didn't have the answer to always built up in my mind as a player and something actually I read online. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it's sort of like created this dilemma that as an agent, if you have interest in a player or if a club wants to come and watch your player, should you tell that player that that interest is there? So now a player might acknowledge somebody's watching me today. Might that change the, you know, how they perform or how they feel before a performance or shouldn't you tell that player so that he just goes about his normal business? Um, and if you do tell the player, should you tell them the specific club or just say, oh, somebody might be coming to watch you today and leave it? I'm interested to get your thoughts on, you know, how do you play that? I think you've got to know, know your players. Uh, different players take it different ways. But even if we do tell a, a, one of our players that there is interest from someone, there's probably about 30, 40 conversations that have happened before that point. Because if someone phones you once, it's never just, right, there's a deal done. It's, right, can we afford him? Can we do this? Can we do that? And then now you have sporting directors, directors of football, you have managers, you have coaches, you have chief execs, you have chairman. And it's got to go through all of them to get a deal done. So there's all these conversations going on all the time, all day, every day. And then we'll speak to a player and go, they'll think I'll just have one conversation or we'll, have, we'll wait till the phone rings and that deal's done where it's just constant 24-7 on the phone to people and being in the know, especially like in the build-up to a transfer window. Like yesterday, obviously, January's on the horizon. My phone started to ping yesterday from clubs saying, are these players available, blah, blah, blah. But again, it, they might be available, they might not. We've got to find out from the club if they are available. They've got to find out if they can afford him. It's an initial phone call to say there is interest, but we've only got X amount to spend on a transfer fee and a budget. And a lot of the team is, a lot of times in January, it's not a transfer fee. So there's loads of different ways to play it, but we definitely don't put things in the press and really hold off on telling the player until it's right the last minute. Uh, we had one particular one in the summer. It was quite a high-profile um, transfer and that one was one where there was three or four clubs at the table. Obviously, they're all trying to bid the price down. But once they're all in, the price starts going up. Then if you say to the player, when we did sit down and say, look, these three clubs are the ones that can realistically do it. But this club, the one you want to go to, can only afford to pay this. And all of a sudden, if there's a bid in more, but then we still got to keep the other clubs there because 
it's still a great option. Um, and it's just, it's really every individual case is different. Those conversations that you have, obviously that from start to finish of a deal being done, it's not as simple, right? It's just like manager calls you, says, oh, I like this player. You then tell the player it's done. Like there's, uh, as you just said, there's probably loads and loads of conversations that happen even before that point. So could you try and explain to us um, and simplify in a way that players might understand the process of what that looks like um, and how active are you as an agent in that process? Yeah, well, very active. Obviously, you're having conversations the whole time and it always makes me laugh when people say, oh, deadline day, you're going to be busy. There'll be something coming up here. Like, These conversations have gone on for two, three months. Like I said, it's, it's what, December the 7th, I said, December 6th yesterday, I had a conversation about someone. That could happen on transfer deadline day, the 31st of Jan. But that just won't happen. They'll call on the 31st of Jan. I say there's some things that do just crop up, but they're mainly like loans or a panic one. But everything happens so far like previously and there's so much detail into every deal that you have to be heavily involved in it and and you have to sit down and be strategic and really work out what is best for the player and how involved is the player in that process very involved uh once it gets to a level where it could happen again sometimes you don't want to turn a player's head um you say oh look so and so might come in for you especially if it's in the january window when you're in the middle of a season, um, especially say if it was a championship or Premier League now where they're, they're coming back from a World Cup break and then they're getting going again and you say, oh, so-and-so's come in for you, but it might not happen. Do you really want to put that in a player's head when in, he's got two weeks, potentially four games away, they're packed in? He needs to be focused on those games. Um, so it's different. It's trying to then work out which players that will affect and which players not. Obviously, it, you'd never do a deal without the player knowing um, and it will, and it would always say, "Do you want to go? This is potentially there, but you have to get it to a certain level before you can tell the player." So I want to try and get into you, Brian, if possible, for the benefit of everybody listening. Maybe even people that just have an interest in football. Really, is is what does it look like when you begin a relationship with a player? Like when you know these days in football, as you know, we've just been talking about off camera about the age in which players are now starting to to sign with agencies and how that works. I think agency contracts are two years, um, aren't they? So every two years, obviously guys might have the option of changing or, or leaving, staying where they are. It's obviously a difficult process for you to be involved with. I can imagine, because if you have a relationship with a player assigned to another agency, what does that look like? You know, where is the line drawn in terms of what's respectful and what's going behind someone's back, which I know a lot of other agencies do from having known you and Phil for a long period of time. I know that you guys are, as straight line as you possibly could be, but can you try and, you know, give us an insight into what it looks like for you to start a relationship with a player for a player's benefit, listening or, or watching this? Yeah. Well, I think we, we sat down recently and we spoke about this off ca camera and we kind of said, look, we, we had a really good transfer window, the best transfer window we've had. I think we've done 22 deals uh, over the summer. So crazy busy a little bit of a break. We had some stuff with a company going on where there was interest in our company, but we sat down you know, as business owners and said, right, where do we go? What, what, as you want to, always want to do, you, you evaluate what you've done and where you want to go. How can we improve as agents? How can we improve as people? How can we help our current players more? And how can we help hopefully future clients? And you kind of sat down and sat saying, well, how have we signed players? What do we do? And probably say 90% of it's through recommendations and introductions um, and lucky you know, Phil's been an agent for 15 years so he's got some really good contacts in the game people trust him 
obviously had my I've had my career and a lot of my friends and our coaches and in recruitment so they all recommend people to us I mean we had a you know a really famous manager phone yesterday and say like my best friend's friend who went to uni of us son is a young player getting phone calls from agents and he said I just thought of you guys because every player that I've had that you've represented has been a great person but you've been fantastic throughout it so that's amazing to hear you know you're doing a good job and you're doing it the right way so a lot of it is from recommendations and obviously it's difficult cold calling but you always look you always try and join up the dots we're always and football as you know everybody knows everybody you're, you're Mr Football Parts you know everybody so you know it works and hence while well, we've obviously reached out to you at times and say do you know so and so can you have a word and I think a lot of it that helps when you sign a player if, if I just found a young player or a young parent now a lot of them probably wouldn't know me for my playing career um, or know what we've done as an agency because we're not in that top three or four, five, six, seven agencies that have the superstars. But what we do is we're good people that represent good good players that want to do well. So it's a lot of it. You need that that intro. Well, I mean, once you do get sit down with him and hopefully you know you build a rapport with him, you build that relationship, then then they come with you and they stay with you. And we've had a really good record of of players staying with us, um, which. It, it speaks volumes for us as a company that there has been players, high profile players of ours in the last few years that other agents have, have tried to pinch uh, and tried to say, look, you need to be a bigger agent, but it's not, it's about that relationship uh, and that rapport you have with a player. And we are doing anything that anyone else could do as an agent. Um, and maybe even more just because we don't have a, a, a so-called maybe big name uh, as an agency yet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult, but I think a lot of it is building relationships and having that personal rapport with someone. Trying to break it down for, for people listening, play, possibly even parents that listen to this podcast. I know that some do that have, you know, young, talented um, children as, who, who are players and might look to this for, for advice. But this new wave of, you know, we can be honest on this podcast, we're not stitching anybody up, that these agencies at the top that have a lot of financial backing are now putting money in the pockets of, you know, players and and parents um, from an early age to go with that agency. Um, You know, I don't know of any specific cases myself that I can give to, obviously, to people listening, but we know that it happens. When you're say you and Phil at Momentum, uh, you know, uh, uh, have been built on a good reputation. You have an incredible relationship with your players and their families. Is that difficult world to be in? Um, where obviously where literally money can, can sometimes outweigh actual values. And how can people listening to this, players and parents, separate what a good agent looks like to what a bad one looks like by taking away the financial aspect? Trust. Um, like we've already touched on, the mon- money's there in football. Money's there in football. And I think sometimes, and probably with myself as well, obviously I didn't get what the boys did, or boys are getting now, but I, you know, coming out of school, I'd already agreed my pro contract. I was getting a, v- a very nice signing on fee. I was going on to more money than my mum and dad earned out of school. And it was probably too much too soon. I thought I'd made it. Um, and again, a, l- a lot of these boys do get just unbelievable contracts at a young age, but that's not the main thing. And, if you kind of look at it sometimes well, I look at some lads and I always have conversations with some of our, our boys now and the, all the parents and they'll say, oh, his mate's at this club and he's earning this amount of money and his agent's got him this. And I'll go, okay, 
right, well, you're both 17, but actually you're allowed to out on loan playing men's football. When you're both at 21, let's see where we are. Because some of them boys earn too much now. And then when it comes to 1920 going out on loan, clubs can't afford to take them on loan. They don't get the men's football. They get to 22. They've got no games under their belt. Well, this lad's 18 and he's played 100 games in first team football. He actually gets to deal over this lad and actually he earns a lot more. And we've, we've got two or three of our lads now that are 22, 23 that again used to say about other lads earning a lot more money than them at 18, 19. Now these other lads are in League Two or Conference earning still very good money, but not much. These lads are now on life changing money at the top of the championship or above. So I think it's all about when trust, trust is huge, building a relationship uh, uh, with an agent who knows what's the best interest of the player at heart. It's about having a 20 year career, if you can, not about two years making as much money as possible. Um, so yeah, just for example, I, I met a parent the other day of a young, young player and got introduced to him again, an introduction because knows another player I look after. And he said, what were you going to do? I've got five, six agents calling me at the moment, offering me this, offering me that. And he just speak to Bri, like been fantastic for us. I, I had the same, my, my, my boy got offered a Rolex, got offered this, got offered that. He said, but if I wanted to, my son to have Rolex, I'd buy him one. I'm luckily I'm a successful businessman. I want someone who's going to manage my boy's career. So I had a meeting with him and he said, I was thinking I'll just go with what every agent gets the best deal for, for my player. I said, well, the problem is you're going to have, as a 15-year-old lad, 16-year-old lad, um, you're going to have now six agents um, phoning around the same club, all going to say the same thing. Actually, it looks bad on you and bad on the player. And then we, you know, a club uh, who I'm very close to spoke to me about the player and said, that we do really like him, um, but you're the sixth agent that's called. And he said, and this is why the boy's now in the year of their 16th birthday. That's when they do need agents now, because it's something I've never done before, because I've always felt it wasn't quite right. But now I've looked at it and gone, actually, these boys do need this advice, because they're so impressionable at that young age, and they're coming out of school into fir- into first teams or into full-time environment. And then the parents for the first time maybe are losing that little bit of control this is when the parents, probably more than the players, need an agent that is going to have the best interest at heart of the player, really be there and support them as a family. And it's so nice sometimes we do get it back and say, you're almost like part of the extended family now. Or some parents say, it's great now, I can just be his dad again and just watch football. Like, he doesn't want to talk to me about football anymore. It's, you know, I'm just his dad supporting him. Um, so I think it is so difficult, again, I sat down with these people and I said, I would hate to be in your situation now because there are so many agents, there's social media, uh, there's all these different outside influences that you can't control. But then I looked back and, and I said to Phil the other day, I was like, actually, I should be talking to these lads at 16 because at 15, I got an agent. I was sat in the room, I met five, six different agents and I said to my dad, dad, I just want you to be my agent. I just want to play football. I can't, I'm not bothered about this. And and he said, um, yeah, but Brian, if, if I was going to paint the house, I'd get a professional painter. If I was going to get an extension done, then I'd get a professional builder. He said, your career is too important. Now you need a professional. And it was like, oh, that light bulb moment. And you go, okay. Um, and that's what I'm now saying to, to the young players I'm speaking to. That's such good advice. You know, I, I knew that the the average age of people getting agents was getting lower and lower, but you know, 
you think it's quite important, quite relevant that guys coming out of school into full-time football look for an agent at that age for advice now, do you think? I think you need advice. I don't think you, I probably shouldn't say it because, uh, you know, probably do myself out of something here, but uh, you don't have to definitely sign, uh, but you, you do need, need advice. Um, and again, there's there's another example that we've been chatting to a, a young player at a club. He, he's been doing fantastic and he's now been off in a deal. We've helped advise on that deal in the background, not try to get involved at all. Just gave the family advice. He's going to sign the contract and through that, um, just being there for that family throughout that has won their trust um, are going to come with us over you know, a lot of other agencies. So some, there could be a risk. You know, they might say, well, thank you for that. But anyway, let's, let's go off. And you, you, you can't earn money off players till they're 18 anyway, which is, which is right. So there's no point. And we never do. We never take money off, off lads at you know, young pros. Um, it's just not right. But it's about then, let's say you gain you gain the trust, you do the right job um, and then you build up relationships with the players and then when they go into their 20s and throughout their career, hopefully everyone gets rewarded very well. Not everybody listening to this is going to be a player or a parent of a super talented, gifted young player or maybe even a first team player that, you know, gets uh, the attraction that agents reach out to sign that when you were 15, you had five people lining up outside your door. Some of the guys in your youth team might have had no one. So the reason why I sort of mentioned that is because if I'm a player in whatever level I am, whatever age, let's just obviously we'll take it, we'll talk about young players, but I'm a young player in a youth team at and sort of a, a full-time club, say championship team, and I'm not the outstanding talent in my age group that I've that has agents reaching out to them. What can they do for advice? Because I understand like as an agent, you spot the best talent. It's, you know, it's only natural. But if I'm a bang average player at that level or within that team and I don't look like I'm going to massively progress, but I still want to have advice on my career, like what sort of, you know, in your opinion, what can they do? Where can they go? Uh, reach out to people. Um, I think like look, the internet's there now. Um, the social media side of it's there now. Speak to other lads in the youth team and say, look, you know, you've got who they, who they get on well with and say, who's representing you? Are you happy? Would you mind putting me in touch? Can my mum and dad have their number? Or speak to the guys in the club now. The clubs are now slowly starting to understand the players do need good agents. I mean, there was a club the other day we, we actually helped do part of a um, kind of, they put something on for the, the young players and their parents to say, be wary of this, be wary of this. These are the things that are going to come into your life and game. And one of them's agents. And we helped them put together a portfolio of say what to look for, uh, not just not look to us, but look for these uh, signs kind of when you're looking for an agent. So there's definitely sides to to look for. There's pros and cons. Like I said, everyone wants different things. Everyone's different. Uh, you know, some player might say, "Do you know what? I just want to go with an agent that's going to get me boots and it's going to get me this deal, and he can take his money, and I'm not bothered about even talking to him." Other other um, players and parents want to talk all the time. They, might be always conscious, something might happen at training, something might happen at the club. And it's just about being there from all the time. So go with an agent that suits you really. And, and again, uh, a really, you know, kind of famous manager once said, you are your agent and your agent is you. He's an, an extension of you. So don't blame your agent, pick someone who's you. Um, and I think we're like that with players as well. 
because th- there are players, some some out there that, and I can say because we've been players and been in dressing rooms. And one thing that does really wind me up is when I hear other agents that have never been a player talk about players in a certain way really gets me. But we've been in dressing rooms that some players be- can be a handful that another agent might be willing to, to go through hoops for where I want people that, again, represent me. Because I've built a reputation in football where I can phone a lot of managers, I can phone, and they'll have a conversation with me because they know what I'm like as a person, not just as the player, but as a person and how I conduct myself in my career. If I then phone him up and give them a player that causes him a lot of problems, next time I phone him, phone him he's going to be like that and not take the call. I mean, a, a, a guy from a club took a call from me today. He said, I wasn't going to take your call, Brian, but I thought it was really important, but I'm just on my way to my uh, father-in-law's funeral. And I said, oh, mate, like, so, I'm so sorry. Look, call me back tomorrow. He said, quickly, two minutes. So I whisked through it, and he said, right, okay, we'll pick it up tomorrow. He said, but I wouldn't have called anyone else back. So it's nice to have those reputations. But if I was calling, and that's because the player's a great lad, more than a really good player, he's a great lad and he wants to make sure he's he, what's happening with him is the right thing. Where if it wasn't a good lad or if I was an idiot or if I had caused an issue, he's not picking up the phone to me. It's funny you talk about how much weight being a good person holds, not only obviously for you, but for players in situations as well that you've just given us an example of how because the player is a good person, the coach or manager or the head of recruitment, whoever it is, wants to help them and will speak to you more so than what they would a player who's challenging. Um, but just to touch on something you just said there, obviously you created um, sort of like a bit of information for parents at that specific club. Can you share with us what sort of information that had on it? Like what sort of attributes do you think are attractive in, in an agent? Probably like we, we've already touched on again, I can't really give too much of it away because I wouldn't want to, speak about the club or, or speak about too much of, of, of outside influence, anything like that. But I think it's more what, what, we've, what we've touched on, trust. Trust is huge. Um, you're trusting your young son or even daughter now with the women's football. There's a lot more agents getting into women's football and you know, women's football is just progressing so well at the moment, which is great to see, especially in this country with the Lionesses doing what they've done and then hopefully the men's following up in the current World Cup doing great out there. Um, your young child has got to be trusted with this individual. It, it might only be the two-year contract start with two years, especially for a young player, like I said, in the year of their 16th birthday or 16 going onwards. That's two huge years in a young adult's life, not just a professional football and any young person that they're coming out of school, complete life-changing um, development. And you're still emotionally and physically everything's still progressing as a human being that you need someone who's going to do the right things and be there for him, not an outside influence that is going to potentially, you know, send them down the wrong path. So talking about trust, Brian, you know, I'm about to big you up, so please don't get too embarrassed, but the, something that you mentioned at the very start of the podcast that I wanted to wait, obviously to uh, midway through to get into was the situation that you had when you left Southampton as, as a young player, you had a, period of time at Chelsea and was offered a contract. You, in that time, that was the, the Roma Bramovich start of the, of his era at Chelsea. And, and he'd obviously signed all these superstars and you had decided against signing for Chelsea and chose obviously to go to Swindon instead to, to forge a career for yourself. And 
I think it's quite relevant that I, you know, I've written down here just so I didn't get the details wrong that that was your decision when you were a young professional. And not only obviously did that work out well for you that now that you're dealing with players in from an agent's perspective, the right move instead of the best move is something that you and Phil do very, very well. In my opinion, the the two of you are, you know, uh, the reason why I asked you on it to begin with, not only because I think you're a fantastic agent, but yeah, you, you know, we're friends and, and you're a great teammate, great friend to me. But as a person, you always seem to, uh, your morals are, are good. You don't see the, the money you, you see what's best for, for the player. And so the, couple of examples that I've got here and success stories of, of what you've done is Scott Twine, for example, was obviously uh, a super talented player at Swindon in, in League Two, had lots and lots of opportunities to move into the championship to teams that he may or may not have gone into and played. Um, your advice to him was to go to MK Dons in League One instead. He became the, the league's best player. Um, he won an incredible amount of awards at the end of the season. He scored the most or had the most goals and assists for, you know, in the football league, the most goals from outside the box. The guy was super talented and and your advice to him was to go there to then move on with more weight, which 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 worked. That happened as well with with a guy that we both know well called Rob Atkinson, who went from Eastleigh to Oxford when he could have gone elsewhere. That Oxford move for a season then enabled him to move on to the championship and he's played almost every game that he's been fit for since then. Marcus um, Harness as well, obviously went from Portsmouth to Ipswich when probably there was championship moves for him. He's now playing exceptionally well at the top of League One and looks like, hopefully, obviously we're, we're talking in December, but looks like Ipswich is going to get promoted. How important is it for you to pick the right move over the best move? You've got to look into it as much detail as possible. Um, and like I said, it's not as simple as uh, a manager phoning and saying, like the old days, I want to sign so-and-so and we're going to give him this and I'll see you tomorrow for the medical. He used to come in, obviously, a little bit of a cough, tap your knee, sign the medical, done. The detail that goes into it now and, and we have to, as agents, if we're giving that advice and recommending these clubs, we have to know why. Um, and feels much better than me at this, but I'm, I'm learning from him. Uh, the data is huge. So we looked at it with, with, with Twiney, for example, where, where, how does he play? He's not the, he's not six foot plus. He's not a massive, strong guy, uh, which he's, he's worked on. And again, we told him that, uh, that he needs to do these extras. And I remember once we'd done the deal to MK Dons, we're getting a phone call from the director of football MK. And he said, Twiney's just unbelievable. And we said, oh, what are all these goals and they scoring? He said, nice, day before deadline day in January. It's freezing cold outside. So I'm showing a player around with trying to sign. And he said, we could hear music from the gym in the stadium. He said, so walked in the gym and Twiney there at half seven at night is in the gym on his own. Because we said to him, look, if you do want to get to that next level, your talent is there. It's unbelievable, your talent. Never seen anyone hit, hit a dead ball like him. But to do that, you've got to then be physically ready. And it goes back to the start of the conversation. When I said I needed to, to make the most of my ability, I needed to be able to run. I needed to be able to get box to box. Twenty now realised in the positions he plays in, to get half a yard, he needs a half yard of sharpness, get his strike off, or he needs to be able to hold off a defender to get that strike off. So again, you told him that and he's taking that way. Um, but they, going back to the transfers of it, we looked into it and like I said, there was interest in the champ. Um, there was obviously the the issue of it going to tribunal Swindon. No one could get a deal agreed with Swindon because there was a change in ownership happening. Um, but, you know, we said we weren't staying there because it just wasn't the right place to stay. It'd been there long enough and 
Um, it didn't quite happen for him. So we had to pick and choose a club. Um, and, and MK, we looked at it and said, look, they dominate possession of the football. They create opportunities in the final third. What is Scott Twine's best ability? Finding space in the final third and goals and assists. So we said, you will get more opportunities to get goals and assists. And maybe this team that should be in the top six of, even even though it's not a top six budget, they've done incredible last year in K. Um, not top six budget club, but a top six footballing club in that league and try and get promoted with these. And then you'll go maybe above a couple of championship sides that are maybe lower down where they might not dominate the ball. You'll be defending all the time. You'll lose a game, win a game. You're like a number 10. You're an attacking winger or attacking eight. If you're losing a game, your number's first one up. It's just the way football is. So you might be playing 60 minutes and then the gaffer go, oh, we need to change it. We're going to go a favourite one of ours. The pitch ain't right for you, 4 4 2. Or, you know, so that we'll go to MK where actually they probably build a team around you. Um, and there's really good other young players at that football club. And if you look from that team, they had Harry Darlings now in the Championship Swansea. Matt O'Reilly's playing in Champions League at Celtic. Um, and, and Twiney has been injured, but he should be back fit for the weekend. He's then gone and got a move to. Vincent Companies Burnley, which is again is another cr- incredible, hopefully part of his journey because Vincent Company's gone in there. And again, while we picked them, probably would have gone to Burnley under Sean Dice. No disrespect to Sean Dice, by the way, because he's done an unbelievable job there, but he had a certain way of playing. And he wouldn't have liked Twiney. That it just wouldn't have been Sean Dice's player. Vincent Company's gone in and gone, actually, we're going to change the whole way we play. And obviously, he's taken stuff from Pep, he's taken stuff from, he's learned with Belgium. And the way they play, and he, and he, you know, again, once we had permission from MK to talk to Burnley, we, we sat down with uh, with Vincent Company, and he'd done a whole presentation on the way they want to play and the way it fits Scott. So it's not just picking, they offered the most money, we're going to Burnley to come out of the Premier League. You know, there was two other, other uh, two or three other clubs that had matched the, the money and actually offered Scott more money and offered myself and Phil more money. But Burnley was the right the next part of the journey. Um, so again, that's a quick fire of how it worked. That was a space of about three months. The One of the my favourite stories that you tell me about Scott Twine is that in the off-season of when he went from uh, Swindon to MK, he the Football League changed the footballs. They changed the balls from Mitre to Puma. And he went off his own back in the summer and bought those footballs so that he could practice in you know his dead balls, his long-range shooting, which obviously was and still is an exceptional talent of his. But I mean, I can only imagine as an agent that that is just incredible to have a player that wants to help himself that much. But when we're talking about like, obviously Scott Twine is a special case because he's, he's super talented. But that goes back, sorry to interrupt mate, about a player taking responsibility. 100%. I didn't tell him that. That's a player, young player thinking I've got a certain skill here. I want to get a head start on everyone else. So someone that probably didn't know this story has probably looked and gone, Scott Twine scored more goals outside the box in Europe last year, more than Messi. He scored, I think, the joint most free kicks. It's that's just not happened. It's and um, you know Scott will probably like tell me off for saying this story if he, if he is it, but his, his dad. I was with him and his dad in the summer quite a bit, and uh, his dad runs a local cricket club and the chairman of the local sports club, and they got a goal out there. And he got and got goalie gloves, and he goes in goal, and Twine just pings shots and free kicks at him. He just always, always practicing and, and as you said they changed the football and he wanted to get a head start and when he said that the director of football or sporting director at MK myself and Phil looked at each other and went wow that's something that I didn't even think of 
I think that's exceptional. Obviously, like, well, it's been in mind, he was on very little money coming out of Swindon then, so it probably cost him two weeks' wages to go and buy them balls. So he's invested in himself. Yeah, them footballs. That's a, yeah. Expensive, isn't they? Yeah. Yeah. But because of that, though, I managed to get a couple of the Almighty ones for the back garden. So I was happy <laughs> with that. He, um, I mean, that's obviously an example of, of an exceptionally talented player combined with an exceptional work rate. And, you know, Dutchwood, fingers crossed, one day he might come on here and, and share some of his secrets. But, uh, you know, those stories, obviously, that you tell me, that we can tell people here without knowing him, obviously, listen to some of his interviews and he comes across like an incredible person as well. But for the guys that aren't Scott Twine, that aren't super talented, how do you think, in your opinion, that they can decide what is the right move instead of the best move necessarily? Sometimes the best move is the right move. But, you know, if I'm a, let's take, for example, Rob Atkinson, who was a National League player with Eastleigh, super talented. What was the right move for him? Again, that was something we looked at. There was a lot of interest, as you knew, um, a lot of clubs that wanted to take him. Uh, but again, it was a stepping, stepping stone. And that's, again, not being disrespectful to Oxford. It was like we knew that if he didn't go to the championship with Oxford, it would he would go to the championship on his own. Obviously, the idea was to get promoted at Oxford. They were in the top six at the time in the, in the playoffs. Um, they'd just lost Rob Dickey to QPR. Um, and I think uh, Wes Nelson had just moved on as well. But they had a, a history of centre-halves moving on. So we thought that if we moved him there, he'll go and play in a really good team under a really good manager and he'll progress. And if the team doesn't progress with him, he'll move and Oxford will do the right deal. Um, where some other clubs potentially would have asked for stupid money and wouldn't let the individual player progress in his career. So again, it's all those little things you have to look at. And again, it was it was a shame that Oxford got beat in the playoffs because of that, and he outshone and he outgrew the club at that the particular time. He's moved on. The club earned a lot of money, and again, from Eastley letting him go, they earned money down the line from sell-ons. I know that a lot of players these days, especially modern-day football, young guys would like their agent to speak on behalf of them more often than not. If there's a circumstance with the manager or with the club, you know, I can imagine you're on the phone all the time, um, being the middleman between a player and a manager, who probably are together during the day. And then you have to go in the afternoon and speak to that manager about what the player's thinking. I'm interested to know it and get your idea of, you know, what should be an agent's responsibility for a player and how much players, uh, you know, we've talked about responsibility, uh, you know, a little bit in this. And we've talked about um, training, really, like training standards, gym, how are you living your life? Like, are players giving themselves the best possible opportunity for you to do the, you, you know, your job for them as best you possibly can? But conversation wise and things that aren't necessarily football related, but could be a player's out of the team and wants to know why he is. How much do you think the players should feel comfortable having those conversations themselves instead of obviously putting that information into you and expecting you to then go and have that conversation with the manager? Again, responsibility. I think the player's got to do that himself. If he, if the manager has got to trust you to go out on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon or Monday night, whenever these games are now, and they've got to trust you to perform for him, to keep him in a job, he's got to see that maturity and you taking responsibility yourself. So if all of a sudden he's not in the team and I'll phone a, a manager on a Friday, I'd never do it on a Friday anyway, but I'll phone a manager over the weekend or on a Monday and say, why is he not playing? He'd go nuts at me and he'd lose respect for that player. 
Uh, and again, when I said I never used to bother my agent, I would always knock the door myself. I wanted to know myself. And then the way it always then comes around is that the manager would probably tell me something. By the time it comes back to the player, you lose something in translation somewhere and something goes wrong anyway. So take responsibility. Obviously, sometimes it's difficult for young players, but I think it's the way you ask the question as well. You can't just knock the manager's door and go, Gaffer, why am I not playing? Where I kick off? You've got to say, Gaffer, look, what's going on? What uh, what can I do more? What do I need to improve on? Can you help me with things? Especially for a younger player. And I think, obviously, it's more we spoke about younger players in this. You've really got to say to the manager and get the manager on board so the manager can trust you. Yeah, I met a, a young player this week and they are uh, got a new manager at the football club, championship club, and he cleans the manager's boots. I said, that's perfect. And he said, he looks at me, what, why? I said, you're getting a reason to talk to the manager every day. I said, give him his boots. I said, Gaffer, how are you doing? Blah, blah. Um, I'm hoping to be up with you soon. And blah, blah. And I'll play this position. And the, the manager played a similar position to him. Can you give me some advice? And I said, the young managers now will love that. And they want you to be a sponge. And you need to get the manager on board with you. And as long as you're doing the right things, the manager will respect you. It's when you start not doing the right things. And again, I didn't in my career, I hold my hands up and I always say this to my players as well. Sometimes I got left out the team and I'm kicking balls away and losing my head. But I've learned from that now. Um, so I always say to my players, there's a way of doing it. And it's, again, you got to be respectful to the manager. He's got decisions to make. And sometimes it's hurtful, sometimes it's not. If it's a personal reason and we've got an issue, and that's when we need to look at other clubs. But if not, there's always a, an issue that, can be hopefully improved. Um, so whatever that improvement needs to be, whether it's in training, whether it's doing a certain positional thing in a game, speak to the manager. And the managers are so busy now, they've got so much to do, they don't really have time to speak to each individual. But if you actually make time to speak to the manager or the coach and work on those things to try and improve yourself to get in the team, then it'll be better down the long run for you. And keep his boots clean. Yeah, Exactly. At the end of the day, obviously, like a, an agent is is due to be paid off off when a, a player moves, right? And um, I guess one of the blurred lines of uh, player and agency agreement, especially probably, you know, I know we're focused heavily on young players, but even for established pros really is how do agents make money off players moving? Um, so if, you know, if possible as simply for, for people to understand as possible, you know, some players might move, some players might stay at the same club. Um, what is the process, uh, uh, you know, of an agent making money off of that process? Um, and what do players need to understand before that process happens? So again, we always make sure, as you know, we sit down with the player and say, this is exactly what we're getting paid. Um, doesn't come out of your salary. It's uh, for people that don't know. It's a, a benefit in kind, and if anyone does want to know, that we, we use the the basic FA um, contract, uh, which you can find on the FA website, and it and it does have it in detail of how that works. Um, and then, so obviously, the club will pay you, and then in the following year's tax, the agency fee will be a benefit in kind for uh, for the player. So same as insurance, etc. Obviously the more the player earns, the the more the agency will be, the more tax you have to pay. But we always make sure that that the the player knows exactly what that is. And so what off the back of that, mate, what what are the biggest misconceptions that you find that people do have about agents? Um I think they find 
uh, especially when you talk to fans, agents are the devils in football. They cause issues, they cause problems, all for their own personal gain and their personal greed. Uh, they'll do moves for players that they don't need to do moves for. They'll cause problems at clubs, they'll put stuff in the press, uh, they'll cause problems for managers. There's, uh, yeah, I mean, if you just Google agents, everyone's on about it. I mean, some there's some stories out there where people haven't done themselves any favours at all and obviously you kind of get roped in that and, you, and again, when we speak to some parents now and players and they go, oh, well, the agents are this, agents are that and then when you speak to them and you talk more, they go, oh. Um, and again, there's a, there's a player I look after who's a young Wales international like yourself once we're parts and, um, and his dad turned around the other day and he said, I always thought agents were this and this and this. He said, now I see what you have to deal with. He said, I respect you so much and he said, actually, there's a couple of um, the players' teammates, parents that he spoke to recently, and they've had nightmare stories that happened with their agents. Again, I don't know the agents. I don't know other people and how they do their business, and I don't want to really talk about other people. Everyone's got their own way of doing things. And he said, the way you've done things and the way you've looked after us, I can't thank you enough. And again, so that that's that's what, yeah, it makes the job worthwhile. Obviously, you do want to earn money and get paid. We've got bills to pay. But that makes it, so it, the job's so satisfying, if you know what I mean. And the best bit of my job, I love stuff like that. I love having relationships with the players and their families. And I love going to watch them play. You know, um, don't have kids myself, but when I watch my players, especially the young ones breaking through and being part of their journey, you know, if I've just had 1% that's helped them along that way, you kind of, you know, you feel proud of where, you, where you've got to. Yours and Phil's relationship was like could end up being a nice advert for men's of sorts management because you guys have obviously done, have always helped me, done such an incredible job uh, and are helping a lot of a lot of people. But Phil, for example, never played the game. It's been an agent for, you know, years and years and years. It, it, incredible, really, that he's managed to be so successful without that playing career because, uh, as you know, you know, an agent or a player's perspective of an agent might often be like, oh, he played it here like oh if, if somebody would introduce you as their agent it was like oh Brian Howard's he's what I touched on earlier he scored a goal against Liverpool in their fake up quarter final like it's you know it holds a lot of weight how ch- challenging is it uh, you know and you can speak on behalf of Phil but you know for the pair of you to overcome that stereotype of that you have to have played a certain level I know that you and Phil work together very well but what's that like uh, we don't really think about it too much really um I think that there's just a perfect balance, really. Um, yeah, he didn't play the game, but he's been in the game for 15 years. He was in the game on the outside of it before that because his dad, um, Selwyn, was a, an accountant for footballers before there was really agents. So again, looked after lots and lots of footballers when it was pretty much all footballers needed was an accountant and a lawyer just to look over a contract. Um, so he was always in and around it, so understands it and... He always says it, he always laughs and says, I'm just a geek. Um, you know, he, he says his friends bullied him at school, but now he says, and now I know they were taking the mickey, called me Stato. He said, like, you know, he's just loves football. And especially now it's perfect for me and our business that obviously I know the football side and I'm learning more the data side, but the data side, honestly, I can't stress enough how important it is coming into football. You see, especially the American ownership coming in as well. Obviously the money ball system, you look at Brentford, Brighton, they run it like that. And you look at the players they've signed and where they've taken their clubs to, to then establish them as pr- good Premier League clubs and still make a lot of money by buying these players for relatively little money that no one else knew about and moving on. Phil's 
just into that data market so much and it just helps give us something different that we, you know, we might not look after a Jack Grealish. We might not look after a Marcus Rashford, a, a Harry Kane, but what we do is something different. So we, you know, we look at things, how we can be different that can still add so much value to a player's career. Um, so we got a really good balance myself and Phil and it's weird because we've been in business given our five years, obviously built it up from, from nothing and you, you were there at the start. So where we've got to, we're, we're proud of where we got to. Um, and again, that's what we said over the last couple of months. We've said, right, how do we become better agents? We don't think we're the perfect agents, which is crazy me saying that when people listening to them. But I don't think anyone ever is. And I don't think anyone's a perfect player. I don't think anyone's the perfect podcaster. Everyone can always improve. And I think unless we look to improve, how can we ask our players to improve? Um, and so we drive each other, we, we, but we never argue. It's crazy. We don't think we've had an argument over... We always always come to the same solution. And I say we don't argue. We will put together our case, but we'll make sure there's facts or data or something behind it that in the end, whoever maybe one didn't agree with at first or wasn't quite on his board, we go, right, that's what's best for the player, yeah. So, again, that, that's kind of how it works in the background. And I think uh, he jokes, his missus always says to him, you speak to Brian more than you speak to me and the kids. And, you know, it's always, we probably speak 10, 15 times a day. And I was on the phone to him for 25 minutes on the way here today to meet you. So, um, and we always just having brainstorms and different things. And, and again, through, he, he's got different connections that I didn't have and vice versa. And a lot of them do link up. And I think in football, you're always one, maybe two max people away from knowing who you need to speak to. And so it, it just works great. Yeah. You guys do work incredibly well together and, but I want to get on that maybe this importance, um, just you know, sort of coming towards the end. But the the importance that you guys now are seeing on the data. Um, can you break down what when you say on the data? Can you break down what data means? Well, if anyone's watching the World Cup at the moment, you'll see stuff come up, and it'll be like um, most receptions between the lines. It'll be most um, recoveries, etc. Just little things that I've seen more come more and more into to play on live football. But in the background, every single club now have pretty much got a data analyst. So they'll say, the way our manager wants to play or our sporting director want this club to play moving forward, we want to play with a 3-4-3 three, three, or we want to play with a 3-5-2 or 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, whatever way we're going to go. But these in each position, these players need to have these strengths um, and again, obviously, the further down the period, you're not going to get as many uh, tick many bo- as many boxes because obviously the the ones that tick all the boxes are at the top level. So what they'll do is then they'll look and go right. Uh, if I'm a centre half, uh, if I'm a League Two club and I need a centre half, we're in a dogfight. I need someone who's got the most aerial duels one, the most first contacts one, the most tackles one. Uh, and if uh, there's a centre half available that's got three out of four of them, that, that's how they'll probably sign a player. The same with, you know, the championship. Now we spoke about Vincent Company. He said, I want a player who can play in this position that receives the ball on the half turn, uh, gets this many receptions, he gets this many shots off, he gets this many crosses, expected goals, expected assists. Because sometimes you don't just go off goals and assists. You go on expected because you might, you might be playing in a, a League One club and you might be a fantastic winger that creates seven chances in a game but the striker hasn't scored those goals so you go well, but if you were playing with then a Premier League or Championship striker he's then got 
scored six of those 10 chances you created, you've got six assists rather than one. So there's so much that breaks down and people are probably listen going, going down a rabbit, rabbit hole here and I could we could end up speaking for hours about it. And again, that's how Phil's got me into it. The more and more you look into it, the more I'm intrigued by the detail that goes into signing every single player. But that's that's what happens now. That's the system of the detail that goes into signing players. It's not just as the fact of me phoning up someone and saying, look, I look after Joe Parton, brilliant player, can play right wing back, can play right side, centre half, can play centre mid. These are strengths. And okay, great. Thanks for letting us know he's available. But what we'll do is we'll look at his data. We'll look at his stats. How many minutes has he played? How many 90 minutes does he get through? Because if we're paying money for someone, I need someone that's going to be on the pitch for 90 minutes as much as possible. If someone's playing 60 minutes every week, there must be something wrong there with fitness. Or there might not be, but there's an up for an agent to explain the reason why. No, gets to 60 minutes, the gaffer likes to freshen it up. You, talk, you spoke about Marcus earlier and Ipswich quite a lot this year because they've got so much attack and talent. He'll quite often freshen it up. There. Even if players are having great games, there's been games where Marcus has scored or got an assist. And he might come off on the 70th minute to freshen things up because that much attack and talent... They, they want to change it and you you, or you see it with like the big clubs you, you know your cities and the way they they change things um so yeah it's, it's very different now and that it's just so important that data i think it's incredible the amount of importance that that clubs are now putting on data and i was aware that data was relevant but not that much that you still got to have eyes on a player you still got to have your scouts that have spotted players for years and years and years and now a player because Again, those stats might be coming up. You go, oh, but why is he? Why is he still been there for an extra year? He might go watch him and go, oh, his body language is wrong. Actually, those three things going forward are brilliant, but he doesn't do those three things going back, and he doesn't look like he wants to. And again, that's that information that comes and he's come back to the agent when they scout him and go, and they go, right, you need to when you lose the ball, you might be getting away with it at your club because the manager wants you to do so much going forward, but you need to do more getting back. You need to do more regains in the final third. You need to be doing this or you won't get that move. Do you think the players now need to be more aware then of what their data is, is showing other people? Like you've just used an example of, you know, I might be a forward player who gets the most expected assists in the league, right? So when people are looking at expected assists, they're seeing my name pop up. However, defensively, I'm not great. Do you think players now need to be aware of the things that they're not statistically good at because it might end up being a reason why someone doesn't go for them. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, and and we always speak to all our players about data, but all the players get their data from clubs now. After each game, they'll get their... It's not used to be just the pros and stats, stats, didn't it? Like how far you've run, high intensity. Mm. Now it's all your running stats. It's all your possession. It's they, it's all so accessible for every player if they want it. Um, and, and we touched a bit on uh, on Jacob Brown earlier, who's now an international footballer. And that he, that came from he he didn't really have uh, any education in football, and he came from non-league at seventeen into Barnsley, broke into the first team alone at Chesterfield, and then he's now playing for Stoke, finished their top goal scorer, uh, first player to get ten goals in the league for Stoke since Peter Crouch, um, and are now an international footballer. But a lot of that has come down to right. I need to polish off on my finishing. I need to polish off on this. But what's going to keep me in a team and get me to that? point where I get the opportunity to improve that is by what am I good at I'm physically great I'm going to be the fittest in I'm going to be the first one in training I'm going to do the most in high intensity runs in the team um, I'm going to win the most aerial duels I can so all those stats are fantastic and then he stayed in the team because he's kept them at such a high level that now all of a sudden his expected goals his expected assists his touches inside the box 
all the other bits you want from a striker are now coming to fruition. And again, he's just turned 24. So relatively still young player, but he's got 200 games under his belt. And now he's learning this side. They think he could go anywhere in the next four or five years in his career. And so you obviously as Jacob's agent, for example, are, what are you aware of his, uh, you know, the stats of the data, even if he's not like how involved in that process might, might, and or I guess are you, but should an agent be yeah. maybe? Yeah. Yeah. We, we can find that out. Um, there's, you know, lots of different, um, uh, sites and stuff. You like can the Y scouts yeah, and, the, yeah. and, uh, and all the different ones like that. But Stoke are really good with it. And Jacob, again, he takes responsibility and he goes and asks and then he'll send them to us on the group chat and we look at him and it's not very often we go, Jacob, come on, they're down. It, normally it's like, wow, that's just like incredible. Uh, it's running stats. is just an absolute machine, but he's taking responsibility to keep it. So, you know, if that drops down and he might not get the, the chances consistently to get goals that keep him in the team, he needs to be bringing something, but all of a sudden when he kept in the team, he got goals. I'm conscious that we've, you know, the examples of players that we've spoken about with you, are uh, great examples of that. Not all players take responsibility like Jacob does and, and Rob Marcus and Scott Twine. What sort of, you know, you don't have to name names. I'm not looking for names, but like examples of players that don't take responsibility for, for their own games how challenging is it for you as their agent? Because what I'm trying to get at is, is of course, it's it's not rocket science. Take responsibility for your own game. You shouldn't need an agent to do, you know, to live your life for you. But the guys that aren't doing that, that might be listening to this, they probably won't because this podcast is is for people who want to improve. But those guys that are not taking responsibility, how challenging is it for you? Not, I'm not going to say to represent them, but to to help them in their career? I don't think we have any. Um, and again, that's part of the process of us also signing players. I, I have walked away from meetings before and said, I don't want to sign that player. That, that doesn't represent what we're about. Because some people it's, might think, look, our yeah. agents will just sign yeah. everyone for... And yeah. I go, good player. Very good player. Could earn me some good money. But that's not why I'm an agent. That's not what I'm about. I was like, let someone else that's got that mindset look after the player, that's a perfect match, but that is more of a headache than it'll be worth earning any money. And again, I, that would take time away from the lads that I'm giving other advice to that are taking it on board and all improving. And you spoke about all those players and there's some younger ones as well that have done other things. There was a young lad who was, he was going to get his pro, but he needed to earn it. And we asked why he hasn't got it. And they said, because when he's been in the first team in the 21s, his stats, his running stats are there. When he's in the 18s, they've dropped to there, which again is a natural human thing that we've done it. You go, I've played in this game at that level and I'm dropping down here. Oh, I don't really want to be out here today. And you go through the motions and they said, he can't do that. He needs to be there. And again, so we found out that information from the club, pulled it back to the player, next game runs 13 and a half K, gets back into the first team squad on the bench of the first team, gets his pro contract. So it's not rocket science, but again, if we didn't do that and we just said, Oh, he's not getting his pro. Let's concentrate on someone else. It it might not have played out that way, um, but again, that's what we want to do. We want to be proactive and be different. I'm so pleased we've had this cover. We've got into quite a lot here, really, about that. If if anybody anywhere, you know, needed to understand the relevance or importance of what an agent can do for you, I think this conversation is really refreshing and 
um, can really help quite a lot of people, um, Bri. But to finish, you know, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I've got some quick fire questions for yeah. you that we'll get into a little bit. It can be from your, you know, from your playing days or or just in life in general. But my first one is always, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Be better than you were the day before. And I know our good friend, uh, Paul Reed always says it, um, but I've heard it from a few people. Um, and that's what you can be. And that's not just being in football. That's, I think that's where you try and live your life. Be, a, be better at whatever it is you do, whether it's being a better person or whether it's being a better parent, whether it's being better at your work or just better in general, that's all you can do in life and learn. Um, so that's probably the best advice. Who gave you that? I've heard it from many people. Just yeah. a lot of avenues. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of avenues. I think it's one that, cause I've heard it from a few, it really sticks in. And every time I heard it, I go, I might have forgot about trying to be better because I'm annoyed at something and something really gets you down. Um, so there's that. And another one I like, we use, me and Phil use it a lot. It's control the controllables. So just control what you can control. There's so much stuff in, in life that you can't control that does your head in and you end up going insane about that affects the stuff you can control. Um, so that's something that's uh, something that we always say to each other because something will happen and we, I'll lose my head or Phil will do all, and we'll panic about something. We can only control what we can control. I think that's a massive one. A lot of players talk about that, but only taking responsibility for things that they can control. Um, my second is, you know, we might have spoken about him, but who's the most outstanding talent that you've worked with and what was it about him that has made you say that? Uh, I don't like to pick pick one. Um, you know, I think that if you're talking about players that I represent, everyone else has got their own unique uh, pros and everyone's got their own unique downfalls. Um, and everyone has got a downfall, whether they think it or not. Um, but everyone's so unique. Um, but I just love looking after good people that that want to do better. And if you look through, if anyone does look through our socials and anything like that, nearly every player we've had has had an upward journey until they got into their thirties. Um, you know, one that we didn't really touch on was a unique uh, one of Christian Burgess and up in Belgium, and just an incredible story. Um, so if we talk about like one of the favourite stories. It's probably Burge. You know, leaving Portsmouth, taking the plunge, you're going out to Belgium in their second division, winning it by record points and then actually winning the top division. It's like like Leicester winning the Premier League here um, against Club Bruges, against Standard Liège, all these clubs that have got good money out there. This club comes from League Two or, or the second division and wins the league and then they do a stupid playoff system, so lost in the playoffs. But again, they've continued that and I was lucky enough to go to Glasgow and watch them in the Champions League tie against uh, Rangers, which unfortunately lost, but they've gone to the Europa League and they've won their Europa League group uh, against Union Berlin, who were top of the Bundesliga before the break, and Sporta Braga, who were a massive club in in, um, in Portugal, and Malmo, which again is a, is a famous European club. And they've won that group, which actually gets them through to the last 16. So now the last 32 Europa League, which Man United play Barcelona and Ajax are in and Juventus, they're already through to the next round. So when you're talking about an incredible journey, that's an incredible journey, but... Um, and, you know, and Christian's 30 now and hopefully he's got a really good few years left of enjoying playing in, in Europe which again when he came on as a client he, he left um, another agency uh, and, and came with us he was he was playing in League One um, again playing at a great club Portsmouth who he will always be a fan's favourite for and hopes to play for again one day 
but now he's going to play European football, which uh, which is an incredible story. Um, and then the majority of the the rest of our, our younger ones have got huge futures ahead. I'm, I'm sure and incredible journeys, and there's just so much different. This I could say sit, we could sit for hours, and uh, I know people don't have time to listen and talk about every individual journey. But you know, I spoke to one player yesterday. He's now playing in the championship that he had to drop into non-league and fight all his way back. And then he was at a club that wouldn't sell him. Uh, and again, he got an opportunity to go back to the league to sign a contract longer than he probably should have, but felt he had to. And now when we had an opportunity in COVID to move him, it was COVID times, and he actually took a less contract to play in a championship. He said, I've worked this hard. I need to play in a championship. And then he got a new deal straight away. And now he's playing in a team that played in the playoffs of the championship last year. Um, and again, I spoke to him yesterday and just spoke about his journey and, uh, and everything we've been through. And it's, it's just, and he's just a great, great lad as well. So uh, yeah, just, I just love being part of people's journeys. I mean, that's one thing that you touch on quite a lot, obviously the, with the guys that you work with, uh, that they're great people. I must add, I don't know Christian Burgess, but I know that in lockdown and stuff like that, he, you know, he was doing Zoom calls with one of my best friends' uh, kids' team and, and things like that and just stuff like that for somebody who doesn't have to go out of his way to do that. You know, uh, I'm sure he, obviously he's close with you and Phil, so you might end up listening to this. So, uh, you know, being a good person, I think if one thing comes out of this conversation amongst everything else on advice for agents and for players is that being a good person holds so much weight. Yeah. Even with Christian, I saw something the other day, he posted something about doing something in the community for Portsmouth at Christmas. I mean, he's over in Belgium and he's posting that about the community in Portsmouth because it played such a big part in his life. Um, and through stuff like that, I know, I don't know if it's a European game or a recent game in the league, the group of Portsmouth supporters got together and a load of them travelled out there. And now they're on about going out to watch the next European game because they're Portsmouth fans, but they support Virgil, what he's done, not just for the football club, but what he's done for that community. Yeah, incredible. Uh, next one, mate, is um, what do you think all young players should know on their journey to aspiring to be a professional? It's a very short career. Very short career. Don't ever think... I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I won't go to the gym today. I'll do that tomorrow. Or oh, I'll see the manager tomorrow. Or oh yeah, oh, I won't worry about that. It's so short, as you know. Honestly, we talk about when we were back playing when we were youngsters. Obviously, when you were young at Bournemouth and, and playing for Wales as a youngster, myself at Saints and playing for England. Someone sent me a picture of, of one of my games the other day they found and you look back and go, oh, that seems like yesterday. And now... I see that on Instagram. It was against. Uh, it was one of the the other player was famous, right? He's had a good career. I can't remember. Who it was Mascherano. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Just sat on the Barcelona thing. Yeah, as close as I've got to him still. <laughs> but um, you know, honestly, that seems like yesterday. So they need to make the most of every day as a professional footballer. And as you know, it is the best career. If you're into football and you want to be a footballer, it's the best career. I, I still come across players now that go, I don't really like football, but it's a job. Go get a real job. It's freezing cold outside. Go and, uh, there was building work going on there. There's guys freezing on a roof. Go to play football. Uh, and uh, it's just incredible. So I'd say it is such a short career. So you need to make the most out of it. That's great advice, mate. My next one is, in your opinion, what is the most important attribute needed to make it? Attitude. You've got to have the best attitude. Um, I can't remember who I was talking to. It was a recruitment guy from from a Premier League club that's got a, a famed academy, and he said what they look for um, 
and it's called the three A's or something. And when they look for a player, attitude's number one. So you could be out there and you could score five goals. Obviously, they're still going to like you, but if your attitude's not right, they're still going to have question marks. So you've got to have the best attitude. It's funny, I got, you'll know him, a guy called Des Taylor, whose yeah. podcast will, will have come out by now, is sort of head of recruitment at Bournemouth. He says that he goes to watch warm-ups um, before he spots a player. And if he the body language of the player is in a warm-up isn't as he would expected it to be, then he'd, he'd leave or go home or, or just it would change his perception of the player off the back of that. It's yeah. incredible actually what, how much, let's just let agents, scouts, head of recruitment, managers even, the things that they look for that players wouldn't really expect it to be like that. Exactly. And that's what we touched on earlier. We said we, all the stats might add, add up, but they might go to a game and something like that might not warm up properly or he might not do something right or he actually might come off in the game and he might kick off. Um, and we, obviously we're in the moment where Cristiano Ronaldo didn't play last night and he kicked off in the game before. And it doesn't matter who you are, you act like that and then you get left out and it's 50-50 where it goes. If Portugal struggle and he come on and get the win, that's great. And the lads scored, come on and scored a hat-trick. That might be him sat on the bench now. World Cup career done. Is it just because he kicked off? I don't know, but that might have a thing. So every, and I think some, some advice I'd always say in football, somebody is always watching. And, and someone said the other day, oh, I don't really want to play in this game. Well, why? Because you never know who's watching. I actually got a move once from playing in a behind closed door training ground game. I really didn't want to play in because um, I'd fallen out the manager and I played. And the next day I was moving to another club because they had someone there watching. Brilliant. That's like genius that the uh, someone's always watching. Something I asked Des about as well. I said, "How real is that? I was like, is that just a myth or not?" I said, "No, no, it's bang on. It's so true." Uh, my next one makes is the opposite. Really, what is the thing players need to not be if they're going to make it? I was going to say arrogance, but I think you need some arrogance. I think you need to be confident. Um, I think confidence and arrogance are the same thing, or. It's a fine line. I think it's very debatable and I think, you know, some of the top, top pundits and top, top people in football always have that debate and you look and go, Cristiano Ronaldo, would you say Messi, you know, these players that have been at the top of the game, Wayne Rooney over there, they've got arrogance. But it's confidence and it's how you portray that. Um, so it's probably the, the, the opposite of attitude. You know, you can't have a bad attitude. You can't just think I've made it. That's it. And you can't just think my ability is going to get me through because you might be the best kid at under 13s, under 14s, under 15s, under 16s, under 17s, under 18s, under 19s, going to the men's game. Now you've got every kid in the world that's been the best player at your age group that some are 10 years older than you. Some have played 500 games. So it's never just going to get you through. You need to be work out how am I going to be better than him? And if you're in your early mid twenties, you got to think, how can I be better than him? But actually I've got this youngster coming through behind me that's trying to be better than me. So I need to always improve. And that's why I always say be better than they were before, because there's always someone trying to get you from there and you've got to try and catch them. Absolutely. Um, next one, mate, is football has moved on so much in terms of agency in the past 10 years. Where do you think it will be in 10 years from now? God, it's a magic question. There's been lots of conferences lately. Um, FIFA are trying to change the rulings on them, uh, trying to control it more. I think at that top level of the game, 
obviously you see so much of it documented and I've not been in that level of it so I can't say it's 100% true but you see so much documented of your your top top agents that go basically go there and I want this fee actually fair they can they can command it they can get what they want so they're trying to I think regulate it they can only get a certain percentage uh, blah 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 um, so it depends but then that it can cause so many problems that will open up another can of worms uh, they're on about re-regulating it where you have to have your um, you have to pass the exam and get your license where now you just have to do pass the, your tests online um, and, and pay for your license so now they're on about re-regulating it but ones that had uh, agency licenses before I filled it um, passed the exams had his official license and they took that away that that wasn't there when I became an agent. So now all of a sudden, if they say you have to pass the exam, and if you don't pass it, I don't think you can take it for another six months. What happens with the, my clients? I've built up a business here. You can't just take my business away. Um, so I really don't know where it will be. That situation seems to be ongoing. Mm. Yeah. I want to finish with this, Bry, because it's going to, you know, maybe combine your football career, both with, with your agency opinions as well, but, what advice would you give to a young Brian Howard just starting out his football career? Don't think you've made it at 15, 16 years old. Like I said, uh, I got that contract at Southampton. And, and to be fair, Southampton, what, what, what great club and great to come through as an, an academy player. But I think maybe as well, I had an opportunity to move, um, maybe moving away from home and becoming, growing up quicker, um, uh, maybe do that but um, yeah don't think you've made it like I said like, there was things that I didn't do extras all the time um, as in gym bits and pieces that would have improved me physically quicker to become a better player quicker I would stay out and do free kicks I'd stay out and do corners I'd stay out and, and do pass I mean I loved training but I didn't do the stuff that I didn't like doing I hated the running at that time uh, I hated the gym. I just wanted to play football. Um, so I would always be first one out and last one in on the training pitch, but I'd be last one in, first one out in gym, um, which is crazy thing about it now because, and like I said, I'd, I'd read my, my pro contract agreed. And, and it's funny because all, all the guys that are um, were at Southampton at the time are now at, at Fulham. So we're going to Fulham and always catch up with them. And they said, again, they're, one of their regrets is not pushing me because you were so talented at your age group um, that you weren't really pushed. It was just there. And we probably didn't push you enough because we just let you, you're that talented on the pitch and performing on the weekend. We let you kind of just do what you wanted. He said, whether we had then the group a couple of years below that, then you had your, your, your Matt Mills, your Theo Walcott, your Dexter Blackstocks, mm-hmm. your David McGoldricks, your Simon Gillette's like the players that then come through after they, they were all together and pushed. And he said, you know, the, the three or four that made it from, from my group, you weren't really pushing. Fair, fair play myself, Scotty Mack, Aaron Davis, Mike Williamson, uh, and Chris Baird, obviously a year older, had good careers. But he said, really, that group should have been pushed harder. That we would have had 10 of you had careers like the next 10 did. I think that's probably nice for you now knowing that that you can you're in a situation where you can obviously tell these young players that you work with or the, the current pros that you work with to use your experiences to obviously better theirs I think you're doing an incredible job of that so far thanks mate but yeah that's what I say to him I say look 
my career wasn't didn't start there and finish there. It was like that. And so every experience you think you're experienced on your own. Trust me, I've experienced some similar or I've had a close teammate or someone that's been through it. And, you know, I've had the ups and downs and getting good deals, getting dropped, getting good deals, change of manager, manage, new manager doesn't like you, go on loan, come back, injured, short-term deal because you're injured, injured again, like, been through it all. Um, and it's about just trying to stay on that same level as much as possible rather than let it getting too down or too up. I think that's a nice way to finish, mate, because obviously, as we know, that football is up and down, but... I'm also conscious by these podcasts, I only focus on all the good. Uh, you know, I think it's quite nice that you've just touched on there that you didn't have a career that was that was always up. You know, you, you had an incredible career, to be honest, uh, mate. And uh, as I've started with, it was a pleasure for me to to have ultimately played with you at Eastleigh. But that, you know, that I think uh, realisation, that humility to to understand what the game is and, and how to get the best out of it is something that, you now have gone on to to give incredible advice to the people that you work with. I think they're much better for that. Thanks, mate. And I think what I do is probably give them advice on all the things that I've done wrong more than well, because they know what to do well. But it's, do you know you're doing something wrong? And like as I just touched on then, I was never told I was doing something wrong because the things were so good I was doing good. And we spoke about it then. I was in a picture playing against Mascarano. And then in the game before, there was Mascarano, Zabaleta, looked at pictures of they. Tevez, Maxi Lopez, and we beat them that day. And someone said to me, you must look back at that and feel really proud. And I was like, not really, because I was better than them that day. And I said, the game before was played against Italy, and they played uh, played against De Rossi, who I think won the World Cup in 2006. And I, I ran rings around him that day, but he had a different mindset or whatever, that he's gone and played in the World Cup and won the World Cup. And I didn't. So I've done something wrong along the way. And so from learning from those experiences, they're the m- more important, more sort of hitting home experiences that go you know, as a young player so I spoke to one earlier who scored a load of goals the other day you might be scoring them goals but don't rely on it now you've got to keep going there so yeah. I think yeah that, that honesty mate that you do show is is quite refreshing really because you know if anybody who's watching you've probably got clients that are going to listen to this who obviously know your story and know, know your personality but there might be future clients that listen to this that are going to be able to get to know you so Firstly, I want to say thank you, mate, for, for coming and joining me. I know you've been on your case a little bit. We've just about managed to, to get you on. Um, and secondly, thank you for giving such an honest perspective of, of football from an agent's view. Because I think quite often I've asked a couple of players about what they think a good agent looks like. And, and that can or, you know be misconstrued sometimes because different players have different opinions. But from your perspective, I've said perspective quite a lot on this podcast, from your view, I think it's really nice to get that point of view so that people listening to this or are hoping to improve their own football can understand actually what it is you do, what conversations you're having on their behalf, how they can help themselves and ultimately how they can help you do the best job for them. So thank you, Brian. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me on. Perfect. Cheers, guys. <laughs>